At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. New week on the Just Baseball Show, Monday, August 29th. Paul Goldschmidt might do the damn thing. I like that. That's what I feel like we have to lead with. Jack McMullen, Arm Layton. This is going to be, you know, a relatively like rapid fire firing through the headlines of the weekend. But first and foremost, we might have our first triple crown winner in the National League since the mid 30s. Do I have that right? Is that what it was? Because the only trivia I really knew, which was the funny part, is obviously Miguel Cabrera won it. And then. It was always the first since Carl Yuskramski. And yeah. that was all I really cared about. I was like, wow, Miguel Cabrera was the only person to do it since Carl Yuskramski. And I, I never really looked past that. So I, it, the fact that Paul Goldschmidt is even having this conversation or that we're having this conversation about Paul Goldschmidt in 2022. And if anybody starts talking about how they don't care about the specific stats that go into the Triple Crown, I will lose my mind. Like, yeah, it is like, just it is a staple. It is cool. It is awesome. And Paul Goldschmidt has just figured it out at 34. He's always been really, really good, but he's figured it out and taken it to another level. And it's, it's unbelievable to watch. Yeah. So the triple crown, the last triple crown winner in the national league was Joe Medwick uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals in 1937. Uh, Since then it was Miggy in 2012, the Estremsky in 67, Frank Robinson in 66, Mickey Mantle in 56 and Ted Williams twice in 42 and 47. But before that, it was Joe Medwick with the St. Louis Cardinals in 1937. Um, Batting average, home runs, RBIs. The uh, importance of the home run has only been elevated. Yeah, But I think the the run batted in and batting average are the two that are kind of being negated by the new baseball fan. And to that, I say, get your head out of the book. (laughs) Um, I mean, Paul Goldschmidt's hitting 340. Like, if you try and tell me that he's not the best hitter on the planet right now, I'm not going to hear your argument. Well, well, that's the thing is, is he still is. Um, I, I think the argument's more on like the, Oh, like, you know, who, who cares about the triple crown? It's obsolete, but at the same time, he's leading the triple slash line. So, you know, on base percentage and slugging, or if you want to just combine it into OPS, which we all know is important. I don't know what WRC plus looks like, but I, I would venture to say if you made like a, and, and again, I, I know I and love all of these stats and I base a lot of my, you know, prospect rankings on advanced stats and things like that as well. 
But if we wanted to make like a nerd triple crown, I think he'd take that one too. Um, it's crazy. He really is dominating in every single way possible. Um, there's really no hole in his game. And he's even deceptively like quick. I would just watch him beat out a, a ground ball in the infield. Like the guy can truck a little bit too. It's kind of funny watching him run. He runs a little weird, but yeah. I mean, he is just good at everything. And at 34 years old, he's just mastered this barely pick my foot up. It's almost like he just picks his heel up it's yet. Incredible. He has this massive impact, massive power. His takes are easy as hell. Like he, it, there's no, there's no like almost swings. It's he shuts it down. The second it leaves the pitcher's hand, he, this guy just sees the ball. Like it's in slow motion compared to everybody else. I think Paul Goldschmidt has spent the last dozen years of his life with his hand in two rice buckets and just turning them like the forearms on that. Oh yeah. Are just ridiculous. And that allows him to take that minimal step. Like he is just, he looks like a lumberjack. Yeah. Does he not? No, he does. He does. And, and it's crazy because you talk about that, like the amount of whip and bat speed he generates without moving is why he's able to do almost nothing and maximize power and that's how you repeat that. He can repeat all of his moves really easy and it works. And Arenado also just looks phenomenal. I, I've really enjoyed the, all of the national TV. I feel like we've got a lot of national TV Braves Cardinals series that just seem yeah. to be always on national TV or uh, I don't know. It just seemed like that to me. And I watched a lot of that series this week. I really enjoyed it. It was it was a lot of fun. I hope we get a playoff series between those two because those two teams match up really well. And I, I've just enjoyed the, the the blow for blow that they've been able to go at. It was nice to get a break from the Boston Red Sox on Sunday night baseball. <laughs> I, the Red Sox were on constantly, dude. They were doing the Little League World or, or the uh, the Little League Classic last week. Before that, wasn't it Red Sox Yankees on Sunday night baseball? I think it was like yeah, three out of the last five or something were Red Sox games. I'm honestly glad to just not have the Yankees on there, too. I mean, I, yeah. I, I like watching the Yankees, but I don't know. It's just it, I like it's, watching it, the other 29 teams, too. Yeah, it, it's been it's been a fun change. Uh, even the Dodgers. like I, I, I watch so much of them now. They're always on like it was just it was cool to see some of these other teams involved, because really, I think the Cardinals and the Braves are right up there with anybody. And yeah. just top to bottom, what I love about both of those teams is there's intrigue with almost every hitter in the lineup. Um, yeah. That's what I, I love about the Braves and watching the Braves is that literally almost one through nine, you're interested in almost every single guy that has to come up to the plate. It's either a youngster who is breaking out or a guy who mashes. And like the 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 lull in the lineup is like Travis Darno. Like I'm okay yeah. with that. Um, and, and when you look at the Cardinals, it's pretty similar. The lull in the lineup is like, Car- or Corey Dickerson, and he went 10 for 10. Maybe yeah. Lars Newtbar, who's been leading off and going off. So right, like, yeah. There's really – Yadi Molina, I guess, but anytime he does something, I'm happy. So, yeah, like, it, there's there's really no lull uh, in that Cardinals lineup either. No, absolutely not. And, um, I mean, what I think is slept on is the Cardinals have two of the top four guys in WRC Plus in Major League Baseball right now in Goldie and Arenado. So Paul Goldschmidt is a point clear of Aaron judge uh, for the lead in WRC plus Paul Goldschmidt sporting a 194 judge at 193. So that's one on the advanced triple crown Um, two on the advanced triple crown weighted on base average. Paul Goldschmidt is nine points clear of Aaron judge. It's (laughs) Goldie judge. You are down Alvarez at 446. Now here's where they ding you. You got to go all the way down to eighth to find Paul Goldschmidt an expected weighted on base average. Oh, screw that. I, I don't care about the expected. No, he's done. He's he's not yeah. getting the MVP. 
I'm sure about the expected. By the end of the year, we're just we're just we're just calculating all. We can pick the nope. advanced stats. We can go WRC plus. We can go, with the, but but anything with an X, screw that. I don't care. Uh, you know who is uh, ninth in X Woba? Um, Jose Abreu. <laughs> he's actually had a really good year. The rest he of the, like he's been swinging it lately. I I was surprised looking at his numbers. I think it's a big reason why the White Sox are even you know still alive at this point. They're not alive. Uh, oh, now they're dead. We're working. We've called them dead, dude. I, there was like dead. a week ago are you were not? talking about a week ago. You're like, oh yeah, they could they could sneak their way in the playoffs. No, they're they're dead. They're dead. They're dead. Michael, as soon as Michael Kopech went on the IL, they're dead. That's they're fair. five back. They're two games under 500. Oh, they're five back now. They're five back. I didn't even realize. Cleveland, yeah, they've lost four in a row. They're five. They got swept by Arizona at home. Is that yeah, not the nail I, I, in the did, I did see Arizona giving them the work, but I didn't realize that they swept them. And I didn't realize that they're already five back. Yeah, they're cooked. It's over. Also, did you see what Alec Thomas said? Um, he was on 670 to score, which is, you know, the the Cubs flagship and um, the, the leading sports station in Chicago. Alec Thomas, his father was the strength and conditioning coach for the, for White, the White Sox. Sox. Yeah. Growing up. Um, Alec Thomas said something about the White Sox, and I'm pulling it up right now to the tune of um, I was told they were not going to draft family. So the White Sox weren't even an option. They didn't even look at them because they weren't going to draft family. Well, that stinks because you missed out on a pretty, pretty good baseball player there in Alec Thomas. Um, That's funny because most organizations kind of go the other way. Um, you see a lot of those like legacy picks and stuff like that. Uh, the the Detroit Tigers when we were seniors, uh, Maglio Ordonez's son was it was our year. Played in South Florida, hit 150 in high school, and then still got drafted to the Detroit Tigers. Signed and played and everything, and then was released after a year and a half. Like there's some teams that legitimately are all in on fantasy or on, on family, and uh, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting, um, especially because of Jerry Reinsdorf's desire to you know make right with uh tony la Russa and just kind of like the i don't know the the family kind of vibe he likes to try to give and then i huh, guess you don't yeah. draft good players here we go this from adam studzinski on twitter um who is producing inside the clubhouse on saturday morning which is what alec thomas joined uh alec said the Sox told his dad they were done taking family members as draft picks quote i knew they weren't going to take me in any spot that's incredible <laughs> So he falls to like the the third round, their, the their second pass. round. He, I think he was a second round pick of Arizona. He was first round talent, was he yeah. not? Like he was Just going about. to go to TCU to play football and baseball. He was a phenomenal football player at Mount Carmel in the Chicagoland area. Um, he was a first round talent that fell to the second. And if the White Sox took him in the first round, everybody would be jumping for joy. But apparently, they have this process uh, where they can't do it. Alec Thomas is going to have a teammate yep. and an outfield compatriot very soon. Um, it, a top three prospect in <laughs> yes. baseball, according to RM Layton. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's interesting because I think we we're going to peg him a little bit higher than everybody else. He's already a guy that's pegged really, really high. But as I've been doing like the re, like just the dive and where exactly are we going to peg Carol? I, I'm expecting to have him a little bit higher than where I think the industry has him. But here he is before before we pump the list out in the next week or so. Uh, he's going to go off in his big league debut. Corbin Carroll is just going to go nuts. And um, then it's going to look like we were being reactionary, but it is what it is. 
because I'm expecting him to hit the ground running. I really am. And yeah. um, th- this guy is, is really freaking good. Uh, I, I really thought that some of the impact that we've seen from Corbin Carroll uh, had to do with the environment. And that was a big dive that I went into Jack was, cause y- you talk about how, you know, AAA out West ball flies ball yeah. absolutely flies. So we're talking about a guy that's a speedster with a plus hit tool uh, to see him hit what is now 24 home runs this season. It's like, okay, is that going to translate? Well, I actually think it is, man. This guy's yeah. exit velos are really, really high for someone that's five, nine, one seventy. his 90th percentile exit velo is, you know, right up there with a lot of other, you know, borderline plus power guys. So you have a true center fielder lefty 22 years old, sprays the ball all over, absolutely flies hits for average and hits for power that I think is pretty legitimate and walks. What's the hole that you can poke in this guy's game? I don't think there is one, um, which is the crazy thing about it. And I, I have gone and like tried to dive Um, obviously not as deep as you, but I have, you know, when, when you started raving about Corbin Carroll to the point that you do, I was just like, okay, like I got to really understand this because I really understand where the Ellie De La Cruz stuff is coming from. I really understand where the Gunnar Henderson stuff is coming from. I didn't necessarily like, it didn't click for me to right away where the Corbin Carroll stuff was coming from, because I was like, okay, you know, he's not, it's not like he's got a physique gifted from God. Like he looks like a typical he looks a lot like Alec Thomas. What separates yeah. him from Alec Thomas, I think, is the very interesting conversation in itself. Because Alec Thomas is a really, really freaking good baseball player uh, who's going to be very solid for a long time. But Corbin Carroll, I think, is going to be a lot better. Yeah, because he's got more pop and he's like a smoother defensive center fielder. That's what I saw personally. Yeah, and that's the craziest part. And then on top of that, you know, you have a guy that I mean, you talk about the pop first. Let's start there. He's popped in 111 mile per hour exit below this year. That's something that I don't think Alec Thomas has, has, has sniffed. And he's also that's, had a home not, run that's not environment feet. adjusted. No, no. Home run 481 feet. That might be environment that adjusted. Might be, yeah. Okay. 440, 450. Like, holy crap. You know, yeah. like, this guy's got major, major power. Hits lefties well as, as, as well. Um, and uses the whole field ridiculously impressively. Uh, people are going to fall in love with Corbin Carroll. Yeah, the, the way that you should be viewing um, that league that Corbin Carroll came up in, he started the year in double-A with Amarillo. Amarillo is northern Texas. It is, I, you can comp it to Coors Field. So, like, those distances are comp to Coors Field. So, bre- like, breaking news, everybody. If you hit one 481, in Amarillo, it's still going north of 430 feet everywhere else. Yes. Um, and then AAA Reno, like it's not as moon-like, but it's still very thin air. But guess what? Chase Field's got pretty thin air too. Yeah. Chase, the ball flies at Chase ball Field, flies. whether the roof is closed or not. So, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not worried about the power dissipating. What I was stunned about was how often he was walking. Yeah. This guy, is he actually like, what are his what are his take numbers like? Like how many pitches does he actually swing at? Yeah, he's, he doesn't swing at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Thirty six percent swing rate this season. Oh um, he he doesn't chase a chase rate of nineteen percent. Um, that's so, so I mean, low. He he really is patient. And so the thing that stood out to me the most with Corbin Carroll is when I when I first did the dive on him, it was during the pandemic, and I only had you know limited abs to look at. 
And it was when he was younger against much older competition, um, you know, kind of on the backfields and spots too. And what amazed me was if he took a bad swing and a pitcher doubled up on it, he almost never chased again. Um, if, if he fouled a ball off, you could see him like just calculating and the next pitch, he doesn't miss it again. He makes adjustments in his at bat that are really impressive. And, and he also just knows himself so well um, that that's a guy that I think is just going to be pretty impervious to like prolonged slumps. Uh, I think he's going to be pretty comfortable being able to just maximize what he has because he seems to know himself so well. And for a guy that fast to have a 15% walk rate, I mean, no one wants to put him on base. Trust me, nobody wants to put him on base, but he doesn't chase. He spoils tough pitches, and he's going to force his way on base one way or another. So you said a 19% chase rate? Yep. That would be the best in baseball right now. So Juan Soto is chasing 20.6% of the time. I've got Muncie at 21%. uh, Bregman and Quan right around 22%. uh, And then Trent Grisham somehow doesn't chase too. (laughs) What does he do? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I have no idea. I guess he yeah. just takes strikes. But yeah, 19, 19% chase rate. Now, granted, the, the takes are a lot easier in minor league baseball. Sure. Like the misses are more drastic. But if that ticks up to 25%, yeah. he'll still be, that's still top 20 in baseball. He's in a, he's in really good shape if that ticks up to, to 25% even too. So, uh, you know, it's funny because I look at guys like Michael Harris and he swings at everything. And I'm like, if Michael Harris tones it down a little bit, because there's some similarities with, with Corbin Carroll and Michael Harris, to be honest. Um, and if, if, if Michael Harris gets to a point where Carroll is with his approach, I think he could be uh, maybe even crazier, which is a lot to say. But again, that shows you how advanced Carroll is in knowing, you know, just knowing the strike zone, knowing what he needs to do and, and just being a smart hitter all around. Yeah. Hey, what did you make of Garrett Mitchell coming up for the Brewers? It was pretty, um, pretty random. It, it was pretty random. I, I texted you Garrett Mitchell question mark. And you were like, yeah, heating up, figuring it out. And then you texted me two hours later. He was like, and you said, oh, shit, I, I didn't see that he was actually up. Uh, Garrett Mitchell so far this year, 44 games in Biloxi. He was dealing with injury for, for the mm-hmm. bulk of the early part of the season. 44 games in Biloxi. He was OPSing 781. Slashing 277, 353, 428, four homers, 25 driven in, seven bags in 44 games. He gets the bump to Nashville. He's good for 20 games. Seven extra base hits, nine RBIs, um, slashing 343, 435, 466, 901 OPS. He got the bump before Sal Freelich, before Estario Ruiz. He was going to get the bump before Weimer, but before those two, that felt very odd. It seems like they they want a little bit more impact, right? And and it's funny because you know, I mean, Freelich's been phenomenal. We talked about him and how, how he's just been able to light up AAA. And uh, Mitchell's been doing a lot of the same since joining him in AAA. So yeah, you know, it, it's it's weird for sure because this was somebody that was okay, as you mentioned in Double A, and then has had a nice stretch in Triple. But have we really seen enough to say, okay, yeah, well, well, this guy's big league ready? Um, I think for the Brewers, they want to give it a go. They realize where they're at in this season. Maybe he can, you know, add a little bit uh, that this team doesn't have right now as an athletic center fielder. Uh, but 
man, I, I was very surprised. And I think it shows you how much they feel like they need the power there right now. Cause I think Freelick is, is more big league ready, obviously. Uh, but Mitchell brings, you know, more tools to the table, six, three, 220 pounds uh, has, has some, some big power potential that he's continuing to still figure out how to tap into. Uh, but I guess he just showed enough in those, how, how many games was it in triple 44? Uh, 20 for Garrett Mitchell, 20, 44 in Biloxi, 20, 20 in Nashville. Triple. So what I will tell you though, is, is he does, he did not whiff at all in triple um, okay. zone contact at like 88%, 87%, which is, which is right there with South Freelick. And then also way more impact uh, and power potential. But again, I, I, it is pretty shocking. And I was one of the more surprising promotions I can remember in a while. One more thing that I want to mention here. Um, Sal Freelich was slugging better than Garrett Mitchell at every stop. Looking at slugging percentage in Biloxi, Freelich had a higher slugging percentage than Garrett Mitchell. He was slugging at a higher clip than Garrett Mitchell in 22 games in Nashville compared to Garrett's 20. Um, so I understand that they're looking for impact. And you obviously look at Garrett Mitchell's physique and you look at Sal Freelich's physique and you look at the swing profile and you say, OK, like one of them is going to give us way more power than the other. But that wasn't necessarily the case when they got on the field. And Sal was seven homers through 90-ish games so far this year. Um, Mitchell, four homers through 70 games or five homers through 70 games. Yeah. It's kind of the same. Yeah. I mean, it, I, the only other idea that I can kind of conjure up here is they they don't regard him as highly, which sounds counterintuitive, but it's like, he has this the the boom potential that all of our other top prospects have, but we don't want to kind of stifle the development of our of our top top guys. So let's bring up Garrett Mitchell and see what he can do. He slid down the totem pole, did he not? Garrett yeah, Mitchell absolutely. is like noticeably behind Freelick and Weimer now. Yes, and and I think and and of course also Chorio. So yeah, I, and obviously Chorio. he's not near big league ready. But going off of just kind of that thought process here. Um, you know, maybe that was kind of what they were feeling like was, Hey, we don't want to stifle the development of, you know, Weimer was slumping bad, but now is homered like four times in his last four games. Freelick has turned into, you know, one of the crown jewels of the system. Maybe they said, Hey, you know, Mitchell is, is showing signs of being ready and he's not quite on the level of those other guys. Let's just see if he sinks or swims. Uh, we'd rather take the risk with him than, than one of our more blue chip prospects. That's yeah. possible. Uh, it, it's a really surprising decision. The, the, the Brewers have been weird all, all year. Uh, we gave them a little bit of shit for, you know, Josh Hader, who now has a 6-4 ERA on the season. Um, so, you know, the, it was a weird decision to trade Hader, but it's hard to to really bash that one at this point, too. So we'll see how this one plays out. Yeah, you want to talk Hader for a minute? Yeah, yeah he stinks. He stinks, dude. He stinks. I, I think the ERA with the Padres is at 25 now. Um, I'm pulling up his numbers with San Diego so far this year, but it was six runs all earned. He got one out yesterday. Uh, Hater with the Padres, four and two-thirds innings, 12 hits, 12 runs, all earned, eight strikeouts, seven walks. That is um, unusable. It's a whip over four. It's unusable. Yeah. It's a great word. Because that that's what I'm thinking right now. It's like yeah, you, you what, go get what are we this doing? Guy, you go get get this guy to be your closer. And and you know, he's obviously been we don't need to tell anybody how good he's been uh for the last several years. Been really good. At, he's been really, really good. I look at Craig Kimbrell, like I feel like I could still throw that dude in the seventh. 
or whatever. I, I think I could hide Craig Kimbrell in certain spots. Josh Hader, I don't think I could put him in in any spot at this no. point. Like Josh no. Hader is 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 fully broken down. Um, it. I don't know what is going on necessarily because what's interesting is the fastball velo is actually up, which is bizarre. Um, or at least, yeah, I would say almost across the board, his arsenal is is either the same or up velocity wise. He like everything looks the like fine, uh, data wise. Obviously, the command has not been good, and the whiff rate on the fastball is down. So. I don't know if he's just missing middle middle as well as just missing all over the zone or, you know, if his fastball is just flattened out. It's really weird to see him go this dramatically in the opposite direction because it's not just walks like he's getting hit hard, too. And I'm just not used to ever seeing this guy get hit like this. So why am I on pitcher list right now? And I'm seeing that his fastball is a sinker profile this year yeah. and four seamer profile before that. What does it, does it give a four seam profile before? Cause on, on Savant, it's always sinker. It's always sinker. So last year pitcher list has 0% sinker, 66% four seamer. Interesting. It, I wonder it, if there was pitch, a change in shape a little bit. Is my um, go-to flood? Don't tell me. I love pitcher list. No, pitcher list is great. I, okay. It, it's there's all different. Like you have track many of episode and they all kind of, you know, label the pitches differently. I, I think that might be telling in itself though, that, you know, the, the movement profile has changed a little bit. I will say that the, the spin rate on the sinker is down about 60 to 65 RPMs from last year yeah. and over a hundred from two years prior. So, I mean, how I, about, and how about the results too? opponents yeah. last year hit one Oh two against his sinker slash four seam fastball this year against his sinker slash four seam fastball opponents are hitting 267. Yeah. That's, that's drastic. Are like, did they figure out haters invisible sinker? <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. And also the, my, my other source that I'm looking at has, has the fastball sinker adjustment as well. Um, f- like, so fastball label last year, sinker label, this year um so there's definitely something different with the shape um and whatever that is has not helped him (laughs) and on top of that uh i think hitters have have figured something out a little bit and then i think on top of that his command stinks this year and his confidence is in the the perfect storm for josh Hader. yes and and his confidence has to be absolutely shot which i feel Um, for him absolutely i feel for him it stinks watching guys that you just know are are battling themselves uh that's the worst part about baseball honestly and that's what was so hard watching Kimbrell after his Atlanta days, right? Before he resurfaced with the Cubs yeah, last year. It was so bad. And like Papelbon, I didn't feel bad because no, no, Papelbon no. was just kind of like a, a shithead the entire yeah. time. But Kimbrell, like I felt really bad for Craig Kimbrell. Uh, Hater obviously has his shithead tendencies uh, on uh, Twitter earlier. But, but um, yeah, you know, no. Yeah, that that shit stunk. But, you know, since then has probably done everything he can to to clear the air and be a good guy. And uh, obviously all of his teammates were not happy in Milwaukee of all backgrounds. So I I think haters done his his best to 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 fix that. Um, So, you know, I I watch him now, though, man, and I'm like, yeah, you can just see a guy that's internally just just going through it. Uh, And and, I mean, the Padres now, what, what do you do? You don't. Like I had a bunch of people replying to me after I, cause that 
the Padres went to him in a spot. I mean, Melvin went to him in a spot that I remember was just, you pulled you Darvish in, in like the ninth when he was shoving, went to Hater. Hater blew up. He's blown up a few times since then. And I was like, man, that's going to be discussed in San Diego media. Most people agreed with that, but I had a few people that were just like, I mean, you went out and got the best closer. Like you got to use the best closer. I get that, but like, we've got to call a spade a spade now. And you, you, you can't be pretending that this guy's the best closer. I think the Padres have realized that, but now where are you using this guy? Do you continue to roll him out in, in cushy situations and hope it clicks? So you throw him bullpens on the side. Do you send him to triple? I, no, I wouldn't no, even no. rule. No shot. You can't do that. That is optics suicide if you send Josh Hader to Yeah, it is. It is optics suicide. Was he throwing sim games and unavailable now? Like, it's that bad. Like, it's that freaking bad. Right now, the answer is cushy outings, obviously. Give him a sixth inning of a 10-run game. Um, But what happens if he stinks there? Dude, I don't know. I don't know. it's, It's a tough spot to be. It's really hard. And I just remember preseason, we're talking about how volatile the top reliever list is. Like that is changing multiple times a year. But we're like, oh, yeah, haters are the top. Hater, haters, no. the one is the exception to the it, volatility. Nobody's immune. Yeah. Nobody's nope. immune. Nobody is. And and um, that just shows you why <laughs> maybe you don't give up a haul for, for a closer ever, ever. Yeah, I think so. Uh, all right. Last thing. Um just a quick note here. The Mariners are 11 and a half back of the Astros. The Orioles are 10 and a half back of the Yankees. The Yankees are just seven and a half ahead of Tampa, nine ahead of Toronto, 10 and a half ahead of Baltimore. Um, are you slamming the panic button in New York right now or what? Losing two or three to Oakland? Yeah, that, that one's bad. I think I saw Oakland's Twitter account troll the Yankees too. Like Good. safe travels home. Um, yeah, I think losing two out of three to to Oakland is fairly concerning, um, especially when the Marlins went there the series before and took two out of three like pretty comfortably. Yeah. Um, it, it's not great. I, I would I wouldn't say I'm slamming the panic button necessarily like they're still five and five in their last 10 judges back uh cole had his a great outing out there there's silver linings uh through this team uh they're gonna get harrison bader back which i actually think is gonna be huge for them if harrison bader gives them a 100 wrc plus with his defense in center field they are over the moon because aaron hicks i'm not pulling it up right now i would assume has been in the 50s wrc plus wise and defense is supposed to be his forte he's been horrible out there and again another dude i really feel for you know a guy is really messed up when his forte which is defense and center is taking a hit as well and these guys misplaying fly balls like he is in his head and we know that that the compounding effect that continuous booze can have from your own fan base and why that does it's new york yeah it's it's new New york York. yeah he's just he's just not built for new york um no it, it the, the booze compound, they don't help. I, I know Yankees fans aren't going to change. And, and it's not just Yankees fans. Phillies fans do it. And then, you know, you can point to Bowman and be like, oh, he figured it out. That's just a guy that figured it out. Like, yeah. And he also had to get like the, the whole turnaround and have him cheered for him. And it actually ended up working. I, I, I really want to emphasize how booze don't work. Uh, Hicks is another example. But anyway, back on the point. Bader will be a huge upgrade in a lot of ways. Um, and I think gives them something they really need. Um, and, and also being able to move judge from center, 
uh, which again, just testament to that guy, not only putting up the best offensive season that we've seen in a while, also Manning center field uh, for, yeah. for the New York Yankees mm-hmm. and Manning it well. Um, this guy is just such a freak, but uh, yeah, Bader, I think is going to be a big injection of life and the bullpen's getting, you know, kind of coming back together a little bit as well. Yeah. Say all you want about Aaron judge. Uh, he's still a point behind Paul Goldschmidt in the WRC plus department. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. Real quick. Very last thing. Sandy Alcantara single-handedly beat the LA Dodgers on Saturday, a complete game, 10 punch outs, six hits, one run, two walks, um, that was the most fun you've had watching a Marlins game since when? Huh. Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, I would uh, Fernando start. <laughs> I don't know. It's up there. Uh, it's up there. I, I couldn't even tell you, honestly, maybe since like the faux, the faux playoff run. You know, like there was aspects of that which were just enjoyable because we have, I haven't watched the Marlins be competitive. What, what was amazing about that Sandy start, you know, it really got me excited was he got knocked around by them the previous start. Yeah. The Dodgers boat raced him. Like he got beat up and and it took a he took a big hit in his Cy Young candidacy. Yeah, and he also was just, ERA. Yeah. yeah, it was the worst start of the season for him. And he bounces right back and shoves against that same team at home, complete game, wins the ball game. And not only was that just a testament to, to the mentality that Sandy Alcantara has on the mound, which is one that um, it's just been really amazing to kind of see up close in the few games I've been able to cover this year and, and, and interview him and ask him questions after he shoves. Uh, but also just him recapturing the Cy Young award to me like that. That was basically him saying this award's mine. It's over. It's mine. And, and I really think it's going to be hard for him to relinquish it after that. Like it's he's it, The schedule gets easier. He gives himself another complete game, which is more than any other team in baseball. Like he just put his, I said it like he just put his flag down and said, this award is mine. And I know, I think it's pretty much sealed for him now at this point. As eloquently as I can possibly put it, that was a fuck all of you start. Yeah. Like, oh, we were talking about that guy with 130 innings with the Dodgers. That's going to take the award from me. You know, I love Tony Gonsolin, but like, yeah, yeah, I think that was him right. just he saying like the middle finger to yeah. absolutely everybody. Yeah, like come on, are we really talking about somebody else winning this thing? Uh, just yeah. goes out there and absolutely shoves. That was a lot of fun. I did also want to really quickly mention uh, the Mickey Mantle card sale. I know you got oh jump, yeah, but twelve point six million dollars for a nineteen fifty two tops Mickey Mantle, and I want to mention that real quick because. Um, baseball cards in some ways are becoming, I mean, we've known this, but I think this is just even to another degree because the previous record was seven point something, seven point something million. It was a, it was a Honus Wagner, it was a Honus Wagner six, and then it was Diego Maradona's hand of God Jersey. That was like a little North of 8 million. So yeah, this eight or nine by, by $4 million shattered the record for sports memorabilia ever sold at auction. And I think that that really shows you where we're going here, that these are like, Picasso's Mona Lisa's and that's what this card is really known as because the 1952 tops mantle it's not even his rookie it's it's his second year card but it's the first year of 1952 tops which was the first set for tops but also the first set to have stats on the back and bios on the back and like a clean cut shot uh, like a portrait shot of the players and then of and course it's a Mickey, beautiful card oh it's beautiful it's art and Mickey Mantle was, you know, obviously the catalyst of what is considered the most important post-war uh, baseball card set. And what's funny is that those cards were initially made uh, 
to help sell gum. At that point, Tops was focused on selling gum. So they're like, let's yeah. throw in pictures of players and more people will want to buy gum. It was such a hit that they produced more. And when they produced more, um, it transitioned into football season. And it was actually kind of a flop when they produced more of the 52 tops cards. So there was a warehouse sitting with thousands and thousands of 52 tops cards, the same ones that just sold, you know, for, for $12 million. And the craziest part was they didn't know what to do with it. So their solution was let's just dump all of the excess cards in the Hudson. So they dumped thousands and thousands of cars into the Hudson. I won't talk about how unenvironmentally friendly that is but of yes. course no one knew anything 60 70 years ago yeah, they were concerned about their carbon footprint in the yes, 50s yeah. of course of course um but beyond that i mean they pumped now like millions and millions of, i i probably assume hundreds of millions of dollars in paper just shoved into the hudson river which also is now created some of the scarcity around the card as well, because it's not overproduced. Like a lot of the other ones, all of the overproduction was just shoved straight into the water. Um, So really cool story behind this card. Uh, It's considered kind of like the, the standard setter for baseball cards moving forward. While we have, you know, the stats and the bios and everything on the back, the way that they are on top of just the really cool portrait shots and um, you know, $12 million for a card, man. (laughs) Uh, for for the finest known example was was the quote of it, uh, and I wrote a little bit more on it at justbaseball.com. But like, holy crap, that's a lot yeah. of money for a baseball card. Way cooler to invest in Mickey Mantle than a monkey with laser beams shooting out of its eyes. I think. <laughs> yeah, I can get behind that absolutely. All righty, uh, that's it for us. Peter and I are here to talk about the road ahead for contenders tomorrow. Every link you need is in the episode description, uh, and we'll talk then.